0: Trump is at his resort in Florida today after a tumultuous week in Washington.
1: Arizona Governor Doug Ducey has now suspended Uber from testing self-driving vehicles on public roads. So
0: we know that they're not U.S. military because they wouldn't
1: be flying near U.S. military aircraft as they so often have.
0: This picture of what he is calling a creature waiting through. Burger King foot lettuce. We Democrats are really happy. It ends got off the horse and took my ride. Someone asked
1: to pick up the tent. the 30
0: tank artillery. U.S. warplanes and
1: gunships. Minecraft YouTubers. These are strange days.
0: You've probably heard a lot about so-called fake news, but what does that term mean? In the past year, the meaning of the phrase has been completely transformed. Let's go back to 2016 and the tail end of the U.S. presidential election. And we will make America great again! Buzzfeed discovered that young people in Macedonia were pumping out fake stories on Facebook. They had headlines like, Pope Francis shocks world endorses Donald Trump. But those teenagers weren't very interested in politics They just wanted Facebook advertising money, and it so happened that stories about American politics were going viral. After the election, hundreds of news stories in legitimate outlets appeared, using the phrase fake news. Fake news, disinformation. Phony stories and fake news. Fake news. Fake news. But its meaning soon grew cloudy. Misinformation, pranks, conspiracy theories, political spin, all this and more were being described using that catch-all term Fake news. Fast forward a few months, and Donald Trump and others were using the phrase to attack media outlets they didn't like. No, I'm not gonna give you a que- I'm not gonna give you a question. You are fake news. People around the world were throwing around the term fake news with abandon. That's why some experts think the term has outlived its usefulness, and that we should now be concentrating on the differences between facts, opinion, speculation, and outright fiction.
1: watching some of you guys uh, as this comes up and he's uh you are fake news and just the uh, the uncomfortableness a little bit of squirming i saw somebody over here elbow her husband i thought this was going to be about jesus what kind of church have you brought me to today well april fools <laughs> jokes on you as we talk about Easter today, we are going to dive into the subject. I promise we'll kind of relate it all together, but uh, good morning. How's everybody doing today? So good to see you guys. I mean, you guys are looking great coming in your Easter best, dressed to impress. You guys are looking good this morning, looking good. got a bow tie over here. You guys know how to do it upright on Easter day. Good to see you guys. Happy Resurrection Day to you. Uh, my name's Daniel Mosley. I'm the pastor here in Pooler. So good to have you guys with us and worshiping alongside of us. Man, I felt like during that worship time, I thought people were going to start running around. We we're going to take an old school in the church there for a moment. And I uh, thought that was what was about to break out in the middle of the room. So excited to be here. I'm glad that you're excited as well. And so let's dive into this subject together. Okay, you ready? All right, give me a nod. Help me out a little bit. You ready? All right, here we go. Okay, so a little bit of tension here as we talk about the idea of what's happening in our culture. What's been prevalent over the last you know, a couple of years, it's really surfaced a lot. Hit mainstream media all the way down from the top chief in charge, your fake news, right? And so what's been happening is this idea that somewhere, somehow, these things are being shared that are not true. And sometimes they're Sincere. I don't think there's any malicious intent. In fact, if I were to pull the room and I was to ask you to, to raise your hand, I'm not going to do that. I don't want you to embarrass you. Don't raise your hand, okay? So if I were to do that, Hypothetically, if I were to do that, I gonna say, you know, how many of you have actually at some point in time you saw something? I mean, it was that clickbait title on social media or on Facebook and something within you just got stirred up. You were fired up. You were hot. You were. I can't believe this is true. And what did you do? You click that share button. I got to tell everybody about this. Right later you find on Snopes.com or you're scrolling down in the, uh, in the feed and somebody calls you out, right? Hey, fake news, news alert, that's fake news. And so you know, there's, there's this, like, you know, in, in our culture, we're, we're so busy, or we want the you know everything now, And so sometimes we don't do the homework, right? We just take it at face value, and then later we find out there was this whole subversive idea behind it. Sometimes it's innocent. Sometimes it just happens to us. It's actually happened to me before I got called out. I'll raise my own hand this morning, okay? So now I've learned. Now I do the research. And what I've, what I've also discovered as you see in the media, as being as uh, uncovered it, it plots all around, is this idea that it does sometimes happen intentionally. That sometimes there is such a subversive plot underneath it, trying to undermine some sort of truth. Maybe I disagree with what you're doing, what position you're taking, especially in the political realm or personal issues. And so sometimes there's these subversive. Plots that happen up underneath all of it. And so recently this has become very, very popular. In fact, uh, in 2016, uh, it it came to be known, BBC, as you saw over here, BBC discovered, investigated, researched this idea that in a European city, there was some 150 news sites that simply had created and falsified all of this information so that they could turn a buck. Because how many of you know, fake news, it's contagious. It, 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 it gets your attention. It's emotional in nature, and so we connect with it. But this idea, this, this 2016 phenomenon, we, we've coined a phrase, fake news, we've coined a phrase, but it's not new at all. This has actually been a subversive tactic that has been used really since the beginning of time. I mean, if we had the time, you could see even how... The enemy. Satan used this with Adam and Eve. And you could see how it's happened throughout history, time and time again, of how people wanted to move the agenda their own direction. And so, what would they do? They would create their own subversive plot, and then they would try to spin that as truth, and oftentimes people would buy into it, and, and maybe it was some sort of propaganda that they could uh, leverage for monetary gain, maybe it was political or influential or power that they were gaining, but somewhere, somehow, they were leaking this fake news. And so, so what do you do? What do you do in a culture that is bent towards this what do you do when the phenomenon that happens is running rampant in fact if you again back in 2016 there was this idea from Oxford Dictionary and they they said that we've gone so far that it's so popular that truth is now so perverted that we're actually post truth and so they will give you a definition of post truth and here's what they said it's it's an adjective relating to circumstances in which objective facts Hard facts, absolute facts. Objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than emotional appeals. And this was used as the word of the year, as characterizing our culture, that we are post truth. And so, what do you do? How do you distinguish? How do you discern? How do you know fact from fiction? How do you decide? How do you discern? How do you determine what is fact? And what is fiction? How can I know that what I believe is true is actually truth? How do you do that? What do you do? And so I was, as we were talking about this, uh, I I was doing some research and I came across this great t-shirt. It was funny. I wish I could buy it. I would have actually worn it today if I could have worn it. This was the t-shirt, right? Because it's just sad. It's funny because it's true, but it's also sad. It says this. It says, why be informed when your feelings can be your facts? And you see this is rampant. You don't need me to point this out. You see this is rampant in our culture, that truth has been sliding, and it's now going to this point where it's more and more... The argument goes that absolute truth, that I, outside of what I feel and my emotions, that there would be some absolute concrete truth that exists. It's not based on what I feel, it's not based on what you feel that there is an absolute truth. This idea is something that we've held on to for cultures for millennia, but now where we are, we're actually saying, you know what? We're kind of in this place where truth is more relative, isn't it? Where we have relative truth. And relative truth simply says that you're entitled to believe what you want. It doesn't have to be true for me just because it's true for you. And so we have a culture which says what is true for you is not necessarily true for me. What's true for me is not necessarily true for you. And so here's the question here's what I want to know. Here's what I want to ask you, okay? So, how do you discern between what's true and what's just fake news? How do you discern? How do you decide? And so today, If we were to take truth and we were to put it on trial, we were to call it to the jury stand, we were to put it in the box and we're going to put it on trial, what would you do? How would you determine it? What would happen in the court of law if there was something going and you were trying to weigh it out as what was true and what's just fake, what's just propaganda and what actually is substantially true? What would you do? You would examine the evidence. You would look at the facts. You would probably at some point in time, you say, did anybody see what happened? Was anybody around? Did anybody hear it? Did anybody put their eyes on it? What happened in that moment? You would examine the facts. And so what does this have to do with Easter? Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. What does all of this have to do with Easter? So let me just talk to, to the probably the two groups of people that are in the room today. Let me set this up and where we're going to go, and then let's unpack it. We're going to talk about the resurrection story today. And so in the room today, you're one of two. You're probably either a believer. At some point in time, you've put your hope in Jesus. You've confessed faith. Hey, I believe this stuff, as crazy as it sounds. I actually believe this stuff. I am a Christ follower. I am a Christian. That's a decision that I made for myself And so I am a Christian And if you're a believer in the room What we're going to do is I want to try to substantiate the ideas that you believe I want to actually look at scripture in such a way today That when we walk out of it You feel more concrete in knowing what you believe And why you believe it Now let me talk to the other group of people On on a day like today You're in here and and you come to church And and, and maybe I don't know, maybe somebody invited you Maybe, Maybe mama invited you and maybe a, a, a family member. Maybe it was this Sunday that your spouse finally drugged your behind out here, and now you're sitting in the seats today. Okay, some of you are elbowing, right? Maybe it was a coworker that invited you. You were, you were invited, and and I just want you to know that I'm I'm so glad you're here. And and maybe you haven't come to the position where it's like, you know what? I believe this stuff. I, you know that's that, that's good for you guys. That's relative for you. That applies to you. But for me, I just don't see it. You know, and so I, I don't have to believe, I don't need that crutch, I don't need to believe what you believe. It's it's good for you, you keep it over there, I'm good right here. I, I understand that. And so I want you to know that this is a place where you can come, and there's no expectation of you that you would come with some predisposition, that you would already have made up in your mind what you were gonna believe. Today I'm going to invite you into a conversation. What we're gonna do is we're gonna put truth on trial. Okay, and so I'm going to invite you into a conversation. As we look at the Bible, as we look at some facts, as we look at some witnesses of some things that happened, and I'm going to invite you to investigate. And so here's what I would like to ask for you to do. I would like to ask you to suspend disbelief for a few moments, and I would like for you to go into it and say, okay, where are the facts? And I'm going to give you an out. I'm going to give you an out up front here, okay? So as Christians... As believers, we believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. We believe that what the book says is true. But you may not believe that. And I'm okay with that. We're okay with that in this conversation today, okay? So in this conversation, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, you know what? You don't have to take us at that. So you know the old song. You could probably sing it with me. Jesus loves me. This I know. How do we know? For the Bible tells me so. So we as believers, we lean into the idea that the Bible tells us so, and that's sufficient information. And maybe for you, that's the answers that you've been given. Hey, you should believe this because the Bible says it. While that's true enough for a Christian, while we do believe that, today I want to present some evidence. I want to present some facts to you. We're going to examine this idea We're going to examine the facts. And so what I want to do is I want to have this conversation around this thing that it's the most radical moment in all of human history. This idea that a group of people, and not just a select few, millions of people throughout history believe something that is so crazy. See, I can easily lean my faith into the idea that somebody would die for their cause. This happens all the time. People believe in something. They have a core conviction. We see people who are just giving their lives, blowing themselves up. We, we see that. People will die for their cause. That's not hard for me to extend my faith to that. The fact that there was a Jesus and that Jesus existed and he lived and he died for his cause, that, that's not as hard for me to suspend my belief or my disbelief. This idea, this radical idea that someone who had flesh and blood, like I have, like you have, this idea it's so radical, it's so hard to believe that he would be killed, that he would be murdered, that he would be hung up on a cross that he would be put in some grave, some tomb, and his body would sit and start to experience decay in some tomb, and then you're going to tell me that this stone that was rolled away, and this guy, some this is hard to believe. And so I'm not just going to ask you to lean into the Bible. Let's look at historical evidence together. And at the end of our time, here's what I'm going to ask. Here's what I want you to decide. Easter, resurrection, is it truth or is it fake news is it truth because if it's true it has implications beyond what it can it means the world it changes everything now if it's fake news we're wasting our time and you're here for no reason today but if it is true it has great implications for your life and so as we're examining the facts today, we're going to lean into things because of our time, the limitation of our time. I'm actually going to provide an additional resource for you. I can't unpack all of them. There's so many facts, so many things that are both in the Bible and outside of the Bible, even recorded from historical documents and evidence that is just pervasive Throughout history that has been recorded and captured Even from people who oppose what a Christian would believe And so I want to lean in and give you an extra resource today If you want to know more If you want to dig deeper If you're not so sure about it yet I want to give you another resource This is a book by a guy named Lee Strobel Many of you have heard of this book before You can go ahead and throw that on the screen It's called The Case for Christ The Case for Christ And so let me tell you just uh, Lee Strobel's bio for just a moment So here's a guy who was an atheist. He did not believe in God. And then his wife becomes a Christian, one of those crazy, radical Christ followers. And so because of how he was wired, he set out to actually debunk Christianity. He said, you know what? There is no weight to this, so I'm going to write a book. And he was an award-winning editor. He says, I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to find the evidence, and I'm going to present it, and I'm going to debunk it all. And the more he dug in the more he discovered that there was no way that he could deny this truth. And then he's presented, well, what do I do with it? And so if we do our job today, by the end of it, we're considering, well, what do I do with it? If it is true, the ramifications, what it means in my life is paramount. What do I do with it? And so I would encourage you to look at this book. He has great resources. He cites all of the resources. He'll point you at other manuscripts, other things. You can dig in here for days You might say to me, okay, I'm not much of a reader, okay? So here's your out, okay? You're not much of a reader. He's going to make it really easy for you. Now there's a documentary. There's a movie. No excuse, right? So dig into this research, dive into it a little bit deeper, okay? So Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ, a lot of things that we'll talk about will be pulled out of here. Great, great resource for you to check out go on netflix and check it out that would be a great thing to do easter even for you as believers know what you believe okay this is a great thing to do thank you that's a that's a great point of reference okay so again let's put truth on trial let's call truth up and let's put it in the witness stand and what do we do if you're leaning into truth what are they going to do so along the way in that process whether there's a jury or it's just by judge in that moment they're trying to figure out is it true or is it fake news what are they going to do one of the first things they're going to do is they're going to go back to what we said who saw it who was around Where's the evidence? Can you tell me the story? And then do those stories line up with one another? Do they say something consistent? Or is there something that's just like, you know, so far apart? And so eyewitnesses become part of the key evidence in what we believe. And so you have a guy named Matthew. Matthew. You know the Gospels. He's one of the first people, one of the first books. You hit the New Testament, first book. This guy right here, Matthew. Matthew is one of the disciples. He spends his time with Jesus. And he saw, he put his hope. He was the tax collector, right? So he had his hope transformed and placed into this man. He followed him around for all of that ministry. And then he saw what happened. He saw him beat. He saw him crucified. He saw the spear into the side. He saw the water and the blood come pouring out. He saw him asphyxiate. He saw him choke, and he saw him give up his last breath, and he said, you know what? I've also seen what happened on the other side, and I'm an eyewitness. I can tell you what happened. I saw him in the flesh, and I believe. That's what Matthew tells us. Matthew is a great eyewitness. Keep going through the Gospels. You got Mark. So Mark is a friend of Peter. He believes the same story. He has the same experience. He has the same recount. So he comes along. And he says, you know what? I believe it too. And then you have Luke. And Luke is my favorite because Luke is, he's analytical, like I'm wired. And, and Luke goes into the situation. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to believe it just because you believe it, just because you say it, or just because your book says it. He says, you know what? I've investigated this. I have researched this. I have dug into it. And everything I have found has pointed to the fact that it's absolute." this guy yeah he he was crucified but oh man something came in, alive inside of me when i saw him walking again it could only happen if god if he were the son of god and so Luke tells us and then John John the beloved he spent all of this time with Jesus in close quarters with Jesus he sees his Savior his friend his beloved he sees him hanging on that cross and he dies and I just imagine a piece of John died with him in that moment because they didn't really understand what was about to happen did they and then he sees him again and he says you know what I believe because I saw it not just I heard it I was there I was present and then then this one right here I, I love this one so let me just hang out on this one for a second you know Jesus had a brother James, so Jesus had a brother, James, right? And so, how many of you in the room actually have a brother? A lot of you. A lot of you have siblings. A lot of you have a brother. Okay, so let me ask you a question. What would it take for you to believe that your brother, the one you grew up with, the one you saw did all that nonsense in high school, the one you fought with, What would it take for you to believe that your brother is the son of God? Well, I'll tell you, for James, James doesn't even show up in the gospel accounts when Jesus is doing all of the things. He doesn't show up until after the fact. And so Jesus doing his miracles, he turns water into wine. Not enough for James. Nope. That's some magic trick, some trickery. Oh yeah, I've seen what my brother can do. It wasn't enough when he saw the leper, his skin was healed, or when the blind man's eyes, when he saw these miracles. It wasn't enough for James. He still wasn't convinced. What would it take for you to be convinced? Can I tell you? Could we lean into what happened to James? James, he attended the funeral of his brother. Imagine. He attends the funeral of his brother. Only to three days later, he sees this same brother And in that moment, he says, now, now I believe. James, he would have called it out. He would, fake news, fake news. He would have called it out, wouldn't he? But James, James says, I believe. James wasn't the only one. These guys weren't the only ones. And he goes even further. You got the Apostle Paul. You know the Apostle Paul. He detested, he hated Christians. What did he do to Christians? He arrested them, shackled them up. He he murdered them, had them killed. And so Paul, he has this encounter with Jesus and he says, you know what? I believe, I believe. And so these witnesses are, are giving testimony of what would happen. And I was actually there. I saw it with my own eyes. And so it's not this like collaboration. In fact, it gets so much more profound. You might expect it from these kind of guys. You might expect it, but then something else happens, okay? And so you have the crowds of people, and I want you to think for a moment what happened back on Palm Sunday. He's coming into the city, he's riding on his donkey, and they've got their palm branches, and what are they doing? Hosanna in the highest! Man, they loved the idea of Jesus, didn't they? And these same people, they come, and they're gathered around the foot of the cross, and it says there were 500 brothers... 500 brothers saw this with their eyes. And this is like one of those New Testament things. It's like the fishes and the loaves. When you hear that story, the little boy, and Jesus did the miracle, fed 5,000. It talks about men. They only counted the men in that moment. 500 brothers, which means there was probably women in that environment. And and I imagine the crucifixion was probably rated r Maybe there were some children looking on, maybe they weren't. But there was at least 500. There were more than 500 women were there also. And so these same people saw the same thing. And the beautiful thing about history, as it's recorded, nobody denies it. No matter which side of the fence you sit on, whether you believe Jesus or you believe it was fake news, no matter what, everybody says, yet yeah, Jesus existed, he was a historical figure, he did the things they're saying that he did, and then we all saw him, he, we all saw him hang on a cross, we all saw it, nobody denies that part, nobody denies it. And so if you're putting truth on trial and you're trying to determine, is this fact, have these people made this up, where does this sit, is there some hidden agenda, there are eyewitnesses that help to substantiate this. And so here's what I want to do. I want to go through, and you know this story. You know when you come on an Easter Sunday, you know the story that you're going to hear. But I want to lean into this Easter narrative. I want us to talk through the Easter narrative, the Easter story, the resurrection story, and I want to look at some specific spots within that story that you're going to see that there was actually a subversive plot to undermine what God was up to. And then you're gonna see the challenge of that plot actually fall flat. Okay, you guys ready? All right, so let's go through the story together, okay? So this is the Eastern narrative, right? So in that time when Jesus was born and he comes into the world, we celebrate this at Christmas, when Jesus is born, he actually enters into a time in history that both uh, theologians or scholars or uh, economists who look at this period of time, they say, you know what, the world was actually in turmoil. Rome was in power in the time and then their influence was spreading throughout Europe and they had a substantial foothold there. And what was happening during that moment is the people, I mean tax season is here, right? And so you might get upset about your 15 to 20 to 25, depending on your income. Maybe 35 or 40% of your income goes to pay for taxes, and you feel like you're getting robbed blind, right? These guys, at this point in time, 80 to 90% of what they made was going to the government. Because everybody had their hand in it Everybody had their hand in it Everybody wanted a piece of it And so they were going along And so there was this extreme poverty And then Caesar has to get his And then Jesus had told him Render unto Caesar what's Caesar's He didn't even upset that idea Caesar has to get his And then Pontius Pilate has to get his King Herod has to get his And so by the end of it There's very little left over And so Jesus is born into this moment And this time And people are desperate for a messiah oppression has just reigned through the romans had had pressed them down And now these people are looking for something. This is why on Palm Sunday, why they were rejoicing. They expected this king, this triumphant entry, and that's not the way that it went down. So let's look at some scripture together. Going to give you several of these as we unpack it today, okay? So here's Mark chapter 1. This is where we're diving into the story. This is where Jesus is starting to gain popularity. People are starting to hear about Jesus. They're starting to hear about the miracles, what had happened. Let me show you a few things together. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the the surrounding region. And so his fame, his popularity is just beginning to rise when he comes on the scene, and he delivers like Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking. There's such an authority like they've never heard before, and they're leaning in. Could this be Could this be the deliverer? Could this be the guide that was promised? And so then his popularity begins to reach the top levels of leadership and government during that time. Here's what it says in Luke 23. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him. He'd heard about the things that were going to happen. He actually was hoping to see some sort of sign and wonder, man, how cool would it have been to see somebody healed or see that water turned into wine? And he wanted to see it as well. Popularity was growing. Jesus begins to get the popular vote from all of the culture and the people around them, and attention's going to start growing here. Here's Mark chapter 3. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and great crowds followed him from Galilee to Judea. Again, same thing happens in John 6. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs of what he was doing. And so he could never get alone. He could never get away from the people. These bands of people were coming around, and this popularity was rising to the point. Now it's caught the leaders, the religious leaders, not necessarily the Roman officials. It's caught the attention of the religious people. And we talk about these Pharisees and Sadducees and these religious leaders, they were it in the Jewish culture. I mean, they were the elite. They were kind of separatists. They, were, they, they had their own way of doing things, and it wasn't about what was good for you or the general masses. It was what was good for them. And so they were in a position of rule and in a position of authority, and so they wanted to maintain that. Jesus threatened everything he wasn't going with the flow he didn't fit in with the the good old boys in this network and so they're getting upset with him and so here's what happens they begin to plot against him don't they here's Matthew 12 14 it says but the Pharisees went out and they conspired against him and what were they trying to do they were trying to destroy him they had determined in their heart listen we got to do away from this guy we can't, we, we can't have this kind of teaching. We ha- have these kind of guys walking around. Here's why they just keep on going. He says in Matthew 26, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Cephas, and, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. You, you knew what was going to happen. You know this story. So they're looking for that moment. When's that moment? Jesus comes in, he helps out with that moment. And so Jesus is betrayed. Here's what happens, Continue in reading in Matthew 27. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders and the people took to counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and they led him away and they delivered him over to Pilate and the governor. And if you remember the Christmas story, you, you kind of have this back and forth that's happening between this guy named Pilate, who's the governor, and Herod, King Herod. You remember? And so what was happening in this moment between Pilate and Herod is they were doing this back and forth. So the Jews had brought accusation against Jesus, and they're bringing him, they're trying to put him on trial, and they, they can't carry out their own uh, justice, and so they're saying, you know what, you decide. Here's all of the things that we have against them. And so both of them are looking. Both of them are trying to say, okay, we hear what you're saying, and they're interrogating. They've brought Jesus onto the stand. They're interrogating Jesus, Are you who they say you are? And here's the thing. Here's here's the truth of the matter. They could not find anything to substantiate the arguments. They couldn't find any truth to support what was being presented from the religious leaders of that time. They found him to be not guilty of these things. But then something happened. So instead of being led by facts they were led by emotion that they were led by relative truth what they felt was needed was going to be what was going to influence what was going to happen okay and so judgment is executed not based on facts but on emotions here's luke 23 23 look at what happens right here but they were urgent demanding with what does it say loud cries that he should be crucified and what happened their voices won out and this is not like unlike what happens in our modern day is it that there are some that would view things a certain way and man oh man those voices are ringing out aren't they They're ringing out, they're they're, they're loud, they're making themselves known, and this is what was happening in that culture. A group of people began to rise up, and then they onboarded people into that fake news story of what was not true about Jesus, and they said, you know what, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And the masses who once had waved palm branches now stood in support because they were following not truth, but they were led by their emotions. It was relative. And so as we continue reading, we know what happens to Jesus. And again in 23, 33 through 38. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him. And the criminals... One on his right and one on his left. And Jesus, in that moment, this is the beautiful thing about our Heavenly Father. This is the beautiful thing about how he cares for you as well. Even in that moment, even when they were doing their worst, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't really get it. They don't understand. And they cast lots and they divided his garments. They crucified Jesus in that moment and and watch what happens here and says and this is uh, and they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by doing what they were witnesses they were watching they were observing what had happened how he had been crucified they were looking on and they were watching what had happened to him Verse 46, same chapter, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he did what? He breathed his last breath. He gave up his life. And in that moment, some 2,000 years ago, and this is what we look at on Good Friday, was the darkest moment in all of human history were the people who desperately wanted a Messiah, the people who had rallied around this idea and had begun to extend their hope. Just maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one. And they, they were kind of watching from a distance. Now they look on and they see their hope being crucified. They see hope hung on a cross and when he gives up his last breath when he commits his spirit over it becomes the darkest moment in all of human history because all hope for humanity was lost in that moment and you and I know we know the story we celebrate it we've sang about it all morning it's why people get excited it's why some wanted to run around the building because we know that Sunday was coming Friday was the crucifixion Sunday is resurrection Sunday. We know where the story goes, but in that moment, all hope was lost. But thankfully, it doesn't end there. Continuing in Luke 23, he says, Now there was a man named Joseph and from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was a member of the council. He was a good and righteous man. And so what this man was going to do, he was going to go and he was going to petition to get the body of Jesus. And he said, You know what? I'll wrap him I'll take care of him I wasn't a part of what happened I didn't want anything to do with that I'll take care of him and they wrap him in cloths. and what do they do with Jesus you know the story they find this tomb and then they put his body on the inside of it right and so they have Jesus inside of this tomb and then I want you to see what's where it's coming here so there is this narrative there's this fake truth there's this subversive plot that's happening behind the scenes at all times so that someone can protect their own interests, so that a certain group of people can protect their own interests. They have this subversive plot that is undermining everything. Watch what happens. So here in Matthew 27, 62 through 66 says this, the next day, that is the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and they said, sir, remember how that imposter remember that when he was still alive, you remember the, the crazy claim that he was going to make? Do you remember what was going to happen? He said, he prophesied it. He said, listen, after three days, I'm going to come back. I'm going to resurrect. And so they begin to lean into this thing, and they have to maintain this narrative. He said, listen, there's a threat to the whole story that we're trying to lay out there. He says in verse 64, therefore, in order, for the, in, therefore order the tomb to be made secure. Say secure. "...order that the, secure, the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And so Pilate begins to have this conversation back to them. You have your own guard of uh, soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can possibly get it. Put it on lockdown. Lock it up. Close it off. Make sure that this thing you're talking about, we don't need that to happen. We don't need this idea to continue to be propagated in the city. We need to shut this down right now in this moment. Kill this story. So I want you to make it as secure as you can possibly make it. And so they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone so they rolled the giant stone you've seen the imagery of this they rolled the giant stone over the entrance of the tomb and they sealed it off in such a way that you could tell if it had been broken so they seal off the tomb massive stone hard to move hard to remove and so then they set and it says a guard okay and they and they position a guard but how many guards were there do you this is trivia do you know some say four. Do you know? I don't know. I was hoping you knew. It says a guard, but there were more than one guard. Let me show you in just a moment, okay? So here, here's, the, here's the beauty of it, okay? So Jesus has been crucified. Hope has been lost. And this is where the story gets exciting. This is why we gather today. This is where the resurrection point comes into the story, I hope you're ready. Get ready. Here it goes. And so here's what happens in Matthew 28. It says, and behold, there was a great earthquake the ground began to shake it began to rumble underneath their feet for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and he sat on top of it almost in a like you thought it was going to hold him back oh no here I am when God has set something in motion don't think that you're going to shut it down and so the angel comes in that moment he sits on top of that giant stone and that giant rock he says oh no 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 something's about to happen here and he says, when he, when he descended and he sat on top of that stone and his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, and for the fear of him, the guards, guards, even in the uh, original language, guards, plural, guards were surrounding him, tremendo, uh, trembled, and they became like dead men. And wouldn't you? I mean, an angel of the Lord, this creature shows up, lands on top of the rock, and you're like, oh, and so they were trembling in fear. Of what was about to happen next. I love this. Right, here we go. This is verse 11. And while they, plural, talking about the guards again, were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests what had taken place. And so, Some of them, more than one guard, some of them stayed behind and actually stayed at the tomb. And then some of the other ones, they tucked tail and ran, and they were like, I got to tell, I got to get this information. Listen, my subversive fake news plot, it's not going to hold up now. I got to go see what I got to do. How are we going to spin this? How are we going to make this thing? How are we going to deny the evidence in this moment? And so watch what happens. I mean, these guys are relentless. This fake news plot is relentless. Watch what happens. This is in uh, Matthew 28, verse 12 uh, through 5. He says, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of what? What are they doing? They're paying them off. They're bribing them. They're like, listen, I need you. Shh, sh, sh, sh. Let's keep this between us, bro. Like, Here, let me... Uh, I don't have enough money to really give you any money. Let's keep this between us, right? And so they've got this idea. We're going to keep this on lockdown. We will bribe you. Just keep it on the DL. And so here they're having these guards and these people, and they're trying to figure out how do we control this? He says to them, these guys are funny. Here it goes in verse 13. He says, and tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, listen, we will satisfy him. We're going to keep you out of trouble. Listen, I'm going to, I'm going to pad your pocket a little bit. And don't worry if the higher ups come calling, we got your back. Okay. That's what's happening right here. And he says, so they took the money and they did that as they were directed. And this is the story. This is spread. This is the fake news. This is the story that has been spread amongst the Jews to the day of that writing and fake news was at its heyday. Let's control it. Let's insert something in there. Let's keep it undermined. Let's control the narrative of this story. Two words. Fake news. That's what they were doing. And so what happens in this moment? is that when they come along, and this, this, again, isn't unique to just that period of time. This is a standard political plot. This is, this is a way, uh, even in culture that we experience today, where subversive truths, subjective things, where we, we can kind of position the masses to be led by their emotions, to believe something. And there's subversive ideas, and there's subversive plots to it. And, and maybe you believe some of them. And so when fake news comes on the scene in this situation, here's the beautiful thing about the power of God, is that when there's fake news, true news prevails. When there's fake news in this moment, true news prevails. And this is what we celebrate today, right? And so let's think about what happened with the true news. This is the the resurrection narrative. And so in this moment, the first reporters on the scene, do you remember who they were? Mary. Mary. And what gender was she? a woman. And maybe you've spent some time with us. We've talked about women in this culture here recently. The idea and during that point in time is that women did not hold equal value. We stand up for equal rights in this church. But in that day and time, in that culture, they did not have the same value. And so if... You were going to make this up, and you were going to falsify this idea if somehow you had stole the body, you had knocked out the guards, you'd stole the body, and you had this own plot, your own little agenda that you were trying to do. Let me tell you what you wouldn't do. You know who you would not choose? You would not choose women to be the first witnesses. Do you know why I can believe this? It's because you just wouldn't do it. The testimony of the woman would not hold up in the court of the law. And again, I'm thankful that these days have changed, but this was the idea. And so we believe that it's true because who would make this stuff up, right? And so they're the first one to report on it. And then there's multiple witnesses of we've seen him, we've seen him, we've seen him, we've seen him. And what happened to that guy named Thomas? Do you remember? He says, I have a hard time just believing. I can't believe This is the guy, he was not like some ghost figure. It's not like this transfiguration kind of thing where now it's like some spirit being. This was Jesus walking in the flesh and blood. And the facts show, the evidence shows, all of history shows, even what was recorded, that there were so many eyewitnesses that saw him that over 40 days he walked around and there were those that put their fingers in the nail holes. There were those that shared meals with him. And so here we have supporting evidence of true news. And so here it goes. Again, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 6 through 8. It says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers, and this is what I talked about earlier, brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died off. And then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, as one to untimely born, he appeared also to me. And that's Paul talking. And so these witnesses Bore witness to what had happened. Again, a couple other scriptures here. It says in Second Peter chapter 1, it says, For we do not follow, and I love this, cleverly devised stories. We don't follow some subversive idea. We're not following some fake news thing. We're not following cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and power. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. And he says this, and they get bold in this. And this is Peter talking here. They get bold. I want you to see what happens in Acts chapter 3. Go ahead and put it on the screen. He says, listen, Uh, the same one that cowered down, the same one that that denied Jesus before the rooster crowed, he said, listen, listen, listen. I am so convinced. I believe it so deeply. Those of you that I cowered away from, listen, you're the ones. You are guilty. You did it. You killed him. You crucified him. You put him on the cross. You killed the author of life. But, oh, that's not where it ended. But my God, he raised him from the dead, and we saw it with our eyes. We stood and bore witness to it. And Peter, man. And so let me tell you about these witnesses, right? And so these witnesses, they believed it so deeply. Their conviction was so strong. Do you know what happened to all but one of the apostles? Every one of them, but one of them, was killed, not for what they heard or not from some second account story. They were killed because they believed it so deeply that you could not shut them up about it. And so maybe you wrestle with even the idea of them as witnesses. What would their credibility be? If you looked and knew, and you want to dig into it further, you can. The way in which they died, this, this wasn't like capital punishment. I give you some lethal injection and you fall asleep. The torture that they experienced. If you had falsified this information, if you had made it up, if you were not so deeply convinced within you of what you saw then you would have tucked tail and you would have ran. But there were eyewitnesses to it, and every one of them but one of the apostles experienced a martyr's death. They died for their conviction of this. And so because of this, this plot has been running rampant, and they're trying to control this information, but truth, truth is prevailing in that moment, and truth is winning out, and the good news is spreading then all of this information is all compiled. And so you have uh, a couple decades that happened before, so the New Testament doesn't exist. So if if part of your argument goes into the idea, well, so much time had passed before they wrote it all down. It really was only about 20 years, so a couple years. Let me tell you, let me just ask you a question in case you do wrestle with this idea, and then I'll move on. Like Maybe you're 80 in the room, or, or, or maybe you're 50 in the room, or maybe you're 30 in the room. If you had seen a person with your own eyes that had died, hung on a tree, and then you saw that man walking around again, do you think, even in that moment, that a couple decades that you would forget? And so... They, what they do is they come and, and all of these stories are written and they're transcribed and, and they're meticulously copied and, and they're not sitting together like, okay, what did you say here and then let me do it. They were writing them down. They were journaling them. They were documenting them. They were empi- empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit and they captured these things and when you lay them all on top of each other and you look at the context of the entire Bible and you say, well, maybe there's some discrepancies. It's 99.97% like, the same, okay? Okay. And so inside of this, if that is your hole in all of the argument, this information sits together and it was compounded and now it's been presented to us as a New Testament. And this is why we believe what we believe. But why does it matter? Why does it matter if the resurrection were true or if the resurrection was false? Why does it matter? And maybe even as a believer in the room, it, it's kind of a disconnect for you. Maybe you grew up around the church or people you know, took you to Sunday school class and you've heard this for so long, but you've never extended and reached into the idea of why is this true? And if it is true, what does it mean for me and why does it matter to me? Let me tell you, let me, let me point right to the idea. Here's what, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 19. This is, this is important, okay? Easter, Resurrection. Is the most important, pivotal moment for the life of humanity, for the hope of humanity. And watch. If Christ had not been raised, then your faith is futile, it's worthless, it means nothing. Go home, close up the churches. Stop doing what you do. Stop giving money. Stop serving. If that is what it is, if he was not raised from the dead, he leans into this idea. So far, Paul is saying, if he was not raised from the dead, then all of it is worthless. And guess what? If he's not raised from the dead, then you're still stuck in your junk. You're still caught up in your sin. And there's no hope for you. If he was not raised from the dead, then there would be no hope for us. And I I don't know about you. This is where it gets real personal for me. There would be no hope for me. No hope for my sin. And I don't have time to list out the laundry. I mean, the list is long. There would be no hope for you. And yet, through the resurrection, because it's true, because the evidence supports it, not just because the book says that it's true, but because of all of history points to this idea. And because it's true. And listen, if a man... If in the Old Testament, for centuries, if there can be prophecies, if there can be foreshadowing that one day a time is going to come in which a man will walk this earth and he will be the son of God and then he will be killed and brutally beaten as prophesied in Isaiah and then this man then walks the earth and then he begins to say to you, guess what? One day, you don't understand it right now, but one day they're going to take my life and then after that this temple is going to be rebuilt. If there is a guy that comes and says that and then you see it and evidence supports it on the other side, I mean, who wouldn't want to build your life around this and this idea? It has substantial ramifications, implications for my life and for your life as well. It's because he was raised from the dead that it makes the whole story believable. It's because it is from the beginning of the book to the end of the book all substantiated together. It's because all of the prophecies come true and so i want to circle back around as we get ready to close out with our time together today i want to circle back around to this idea of truth again so we've talked about absolute truth and we've talked about relative truth that what's true for you might not be true for me and and a large portion of our culture kind of leans into that idea you do you i'll do me so i, I want to lean back into this truth for a moment and let me just show you a couple of things i'm going to read it quickly and then i want to land into this question and this is the question that we'll end up closing with today okay So this is in John, this is in chapter 18, and this is where Jesus has been brought before Pilate. And I want you to see something in chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? Pilate says, am I a Jew? Your own people and your chief priests, they've handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? And Jesus says to him, listen, you don't need to sweat this. You don't need to worry about this. this see, my kingdom is not of this world. And if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest and bite my Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And, and Pilate says to him, so you are a king. Jesus says, well, you say that I'm a king. And, now, and I, want you to, I want you to see this idea and this exchange that's happening in this, in this powerful question that's going to come And then we're going to look at it together. So, and he says, this is Jesus. In fact, the reason I was born, say the reason. The reason that I came into existence is to testify to what? It's to testify to the truth. And everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. And then, Pilate, look at this question. Pilate says to him, what is truth, retorted Pilate. And then with this, he went out again, and he gathered uh, to the Jews, gathered there, and he said, you know, I don't find any charges against them. And and so Pilate asked this question, what is truth? And I think this is a substantial question for you and I, and especially as we're talking about the resurrection, is what, what is the truth? And 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 I would extend to you that I would believe that all of us want to live authentic lives, that all of us want to live in the truth, that all of us want to be known and be vulnerable and be real. We're not we don't want to be deceitful. I believe that is characteristic of all of us inside of our heart. But Pilate really he really does ask the wrong question. And I can't blame him because this is a question that you and I would ask. This is, what's the meaning of life? Why do I exist? Why am I here? What is the truth? What's my purpose? And so we all universally have this written inside of us and Pilate is asking the same question. But the reality is this question should have been worded a little bit different and I think the response would have been so much better for Pilate from Jesus. Instead of asking, what is the truth? He should have asked the question, who is the truth? And to which Jesus would have responded, I am, I am the truth. You know this, this is what he says in John 14, 6, and this is crazy. When, when, when Jesus is having this conversation and he's getting ready to prophesy or he is prophesying about his crucifixion, uh, uh, about what's to come, and, and, and the, his disciples, the other believers, are asking him questions like, where are you going? Like, where are you going? This, this wasn't part of the plan. What do you mean you're going to go away? And, and they didn't understand this language. And, and he was trying to boil it down to this idea right here. And he says, listen, l- let me help you. And you won't get it in this moment, but you're going to get it over time. Let me help you, Jesus answers. He says, I am, and let's say it together, the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And the world around us, the culture around us hates this. They detest this. And the idea Even that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, do you know why they were trying to undermine and why they were trying to propel some fake news stories? is because he was walking around saying stuff like this, claiming to be God. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Who does this guy think that he is? And so the truth of the gospel, let me ask you some personal questions. Do you believe the truth? Do you, do you believe this about Jesus, that he would be the way, the truth, and the life? Do you believe that? Do you still wrestle with the tensions and the idea of the resurrection and the idea of, of why it was done and what it was done and who it was for? Do you sometimes question looking at it and like, okay, maybe that's truth for you and that's good for you, but you just keep that Jesus stuff over there. I get it i understand it took me a long time to come to this realization myself i understand so l- let me kind of give you the, the the basic foundational idea of the gospel and if you're a believer in this room you can appreciate the things that that I, i'm, I'm going to share over the next few moments that god desires personal relationship with me And he desires personal relationship with you. It's about your relationship, that God loves you and adores you. And it's not this cliche idea. It's the fact that he actually loves you. And if you look from the beginning, when we see about the creation account, that God designed it in relationship. And then what happened to the relationship, we all know. That something happened, that that mankind made his own decisions, that they went his own way, that they missed the mark, that they actually committed sins, atrocities against God. They offended him things that he couldn't have any part of. And now there's this separation between mankind and his creator and it breaks the heart of the Lord. And so he begins to put things in motion. He begins to see, and this is, the, this is why there's so much evidence around this, that you can see even from Genesis how the story of Jesus was going to come about. That it was all the same story. It's all the same narrative, all the same love letter for you. for me and so Jesus as we've talked about being innocent of all of the charges that they had brought up against him but being controlled and, and, and sentenced because of the emotions of the people he was crucified he was hung on a cross he was speared in the side and so many people watched him die and he gave up his last breath and then they buried him they put him in that tomb and then he sat there And then on that third day, and this is where the hope that you and I have, on that third day when that angel shows up and he rolls the rock away, and Jesus takes the breath of life back again. And he walks out of that tomb. And I believe in that moment, while, while he went and he said, and he met Mary there, and he saw her in that moment, and then he went into the other disciples, I believe in that moment because he's not bound by time and space, that he looks forward here and he says, you know what, one day you'll be here. One day you'll need to know that he is risen, that there is resurrection, that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life. One day you're going to need to know, some April 1st, 2018, there's going to be a group of people and they need to know, and so the payment for sin was made. And so here, here's the idea. And sometimes we separate this fact, and I am wrapping this up. Sometimes we separate this fact here, is that like Jesus, that we were created in his image, and and so Jesus that walked the earth, and he died. The reality is that you one day, me one day, and, and I hope that that is... For a while down the road. But one day we're going to experience decay. One day we will taste death. One day we will be put into a grave if Jesus doesn't come back before it. One day we will experience that like Jesus experience that. But like Jesus, like Jesus, we are promised the idea of a resurrection. And let me let you in on a bit of truth. this one is not relative. It's not contingent on whether you believe it or not, that you were designed as an eternal being, that you were created. And so no matter what you believe, this is an absolute truth that eternity is real. Eternity is at stake. Heaven is real. And unfortunately, so is hell and so we are designed to respond the language and the invitation sits there the resurrection is for you it is for me in the hope of the gospel the good news of the gospel and so sometimes we we lean into this is is jesus too good to be true and sometimes i struggle with this one is Jesus too good to be true? It, it, could he love me? I've gone down so far. I've gone down this path. I've gone down this route. I've done things that I don't want to tell anybody else about. And so somewhere we decide, okay, that is good for you. That's true for you. It just can't be true for me because you don't know me. You don't know my story. While you were doing what you did, while they crucified him, while they killed him and hung him on a cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. While you were stuck in your sins, Christ died for you. And so... Here we go. Last of it. John 8, 31 says, To the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then, the famous line, Then you will know the truth. You can't handle the truth. Then you will know the truth. And what does the truth do? The truth will set you free. And oftentimes even as believers and let me talk to you even as believers we, we sometimes don't feel free we still feel guilt and condemnation we still feel like we're stuck that we're trapped that we're anchored we're shackled so we're held back by something that when we lean into the truth of this the promise is that we would be set free and when we're set free that we would be free indeed the truth will set you free let's pray together Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and adores us. That how we mess things up it was always about you trying to make the way back for relationship. And so all of those millennia ago, you began to make things uh, and pattern things and put them in motion so that it led up to this moment where Jesus, your son, would become a man and then he would go to the place of the cross and that his innocent blood would be shed for my guilt and my shame and my condemnation and then he didn't stay there my hope didn't die there that now because he is alive I am alive and that same spirit that lives within Jesus that resurrected him from the dead that as a believer that same spirit lives within me and so if you're a believer in the room with every head bowed and every eye closed let me talk to you for a moment this resurrection story the miracle of Easter the fact that he rose from the grave Today, I I hope that it just further uh, builds on your foundation and your belief. And so maybe you're in the room and that you are going through something. It doesn't mean that we're left from pain and suffering. We still experience those things in this world. Maybe you've been going through struggle and hardship. Maybe you're you're a believer, but you, you, you haven't been to church in a while, or you feel disconnected or separated from God. Again, the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives within you as a believer, and we have to lean into that. And so, Father, if we're believers in this room and we have put our hope and our trust in you, would you do what only you can do? Would you develop the conviction within us that we can lean into you, that we can trust in your power for freedom, for liberty, for our lives as believers? And then take this, God, this knowledge of the facts and embrace Burn it within our hearts so that we might become better witnesses of the resurrection ourselves as we share our faith with others that you've sent us on a mission. Now, again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me talk to you in the room, and, and maybe you did the church thing for a while, or maybe a friend invited you, but you're here today. This this is for you, and this story is for you, and, and, and the resurrection is for you. And so if you felt like you know, you're know you far from God, you, you knew him at once, or, or maybe you, you just kind of put this off, I don't want to go through an Easter Sunday, a resurrection Sunday. There is no better day in the calendar year than you to say, you know what, I'm all in God. I I believe, I've wrestled with this, but I believe. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the good news of the gospel, to the truth. Do you believe the truth? And if you believe the truth, it will change you forever. You simply bring your faith into alignment with that truth. Jesus, I believe you did the things Bible says you did. I believe all of the evidence, and I believe, and I need you in my life and in my heart. And if that's you in the room today, and you would like for me to pray for you in this moment, would you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you do in this safe space, this safe environment, would you lift up your hand in this moment? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, for those in the room making a decision to follow you. God, would you secure the idea of salvation within us, that we could simply lean into you, that it wouldn't be about our performance, but about what you've done, and that you become the identity. Forgive us of our sins. Thank you for making us new. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.